Two and two men are the big front doors you instructed the sounds. Capital. Then we've stopped all the holes. Now we must be silent. The sheer speed of my friend Sherlock Holmes never ceased to amaze me. My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and I was privileged to share the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I will tell you about the Red-Headed League. <laughs> it's all in my notebooks. If I may consult them for a moment... and I've no doubt he'll be of the utmost use in yours, Mr. Wilson. Oh, well, uh, how do you do, Doctor? Uh, my friend Watson shares my love of all that is bizarre outside the conventions and humdrum routine of everyday life. <laughs> he shows his relish for it by the enthusiasm with which he chronicles, and if he'll excuse my saying so, embellishes so many of my little adventures. Yeah, your cases are of the greatest interest to me, Holmes. Oh, but none more interesting than mine, I warrant. Really? You remember, Watson, my remarking the other day that for strange effects and extraordinary combinations, we must go to life itself, which is always far more daring than any effort of the imagination. <laughs> That's a proposition which I took the liberty of doubting. You did. But you must come round to my view nonetheless, or I shall keep piling fact upon fact on you until you admit I'm right. <laughs> now, Mr. Jabez Wilson here has a narrative which promises to be one of the most singular I've listened to for some time. It is indeed just singular. Therefore, my friend Dr. Watson must hear it for himself. Oh, with pleasure. Well, perhaps Dr. Watson had better read this here newspaper advertisement, eh? Oh, thank you. Um, uh, where is it? Uh, just, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, I see. To the Red-Headed League, on account of the bequest of the late Ezekiah Hopkins of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, USA... There is now another vacancy entitling a member of the League to a salary of four pounds a week for purely nominal services. Red-headed League? Carry on. Uh, all red-headed men above the age of 21 years are eligible. Apply in person on Monday at 11 o'clock to Duncan Ross at the offices of the League, 7 Pope's Court, Fleet Street. Well, that's it a bunch. It is a little off the beaten track, isn't it? You've noticed, of course, that the newspaper is two months old. Oh, yes. Now, Mr. Wilson. Well, as, as I told Mr. Holmes, I have a small pawnbroker's business at Saxe-Coburg Square near the city. It just gives me a living. I can only afford an assistant because he's willing to take half wages to learn the business. Well, what is the name of this obliging fellow? Vincent Spaulding. 
Oh, mind you, I couldn't wish a smarter man. Comes of a good family. He can get twice what I'm able to give him. But why should I put ideas into his head? Why, indeed. I don't know that your assistant is not as remarkable as your advertisement. Oh, he has his faults. There never was such a fellow for photography. Snapping away with a camera and then diving down into the cellar to develop his pictures. Oh, that is his main fault. But on the whole, he's a good worker. Well, one morning, just eight weeks ago, Spalding came into the office and showed me that advertisement that you just read out. I wish I was a red-headed man, Mr. Wilson. Why, that vacancy's worth a little fortune. This is incredible, Spalding. I've never come across such an advertisement as this in all my life. What? You mean you've never heard of the Red-Headed League, Mr. Wilson? No, never. Well, you see, this American, Ezekiah Hopkins, was a millionaire, always getting ribbed when he was a lad for his red hair. So he had a sort of sympathy for red-headed men all his life. And when he died, his fortune went into the hands of trustees with instructions to use it, giving easy jobs to red-haired men. It's astonishing. And what's even better, old Hopkins was born in London, so the offer's confined to Londoners. Well, but there must be thousands of red-headed men who would apply. Thousands with red hair, sir. But scarcely one in a hundred with hair to match old Ezekiah Hopkins' own. Uh, how did I hear it described now? Uh, not light red, not dark. A sort of real bright blazing red. Yeah. Hey, what is it? Your hair, sir. If you'll pardon the liberty... Well, I should have guessed it was just the kind they're looking for. Really? Oh. Well, I don't know. Um, of course, four pounds a week. Would scarcely be worth a, a gentleman like you bothering. Oh, well, it all sounds, um, well, uh, interesting. Uh, an unusual experience, you might say. Now, if only my hair would change overnight, I... Well, things are a little, um, slackier just now. You know, Spalding, I think I might step along to Pope's court now. Yes, sir. And you can put up the shutters and come along with me. Your experience has been the most entertaining one, Mr. Wilson. Did you ever hear anything to compare with it, Mr. Holmes? Well, gentlemen, I never hoped to see such a sight as that again. Fleet Street itself was choked. From north, south, east, and west, every man jack with a shade of red in his hair had tramped into the city to answer that advertisement. <laughs> Pope's court looked like a Costa's Orange Barrow. <laughs> I shouldn't have believed there were so many in the old country. Straw-colored, lemon, orange, brick, Irish setter. <laughs> but as Spalding had said, my own vivid flame-colored tint was scarcely to be found. If it hadn't been for him, I might have given up in despair. But he pushed and he pulled and he butted until he got me through the crowd and right up to the steps, which led to the doorway number seven. What happened when you got there? I eventually found myself in a large office with no furniture save for a couple of wooden chairs and a deal table. There was a man behind the table with an head even redder than mine. He said a few words to each candidate as he came up, but one glance at their heads seemed sufficient to disqualify them completely. Name, please. Patrick O'Hooley, sir. Call that there, Red, eh? Seen better on a mop then. Next. My name's Rushworth, Benjamin Arthur Rushworth. I'm given to understand. This isn't the bull's headed league, sir. No, well, I can assure you, my name. This is Mr. Jabez Wilson. Mr. Jabez Wilson. 
And now, if you'll permit me, sir, that's the most interesting head. Most interesting indeed. Oh, uh, you, uh, you think so? Oh, yes. Do you know, sir, I don't think I can recall anything so fine. Oh, well, uh, glance at your own, uh, sir. By the point, sir. He won't mind if I take one obvious precaution. Oh, my dear. Oh, oh really, sir, you nearly dress it up. <laughs> uh, forgive me, Mr. Wilson. Ah, your eyes are watering. All is as it should be. Oh, we have twice been deceived by wigs and once by paste. But uh, as for you, sir, well, it would be an injustice to hesitate. You may all go. The vacancy is filled. Kindly pass the word as you go out. This is extremely good of you, Mr. Oh, not at all. Well, uh, a warm welcome to the red-headed league. Thank you, sir. Now, when will you be able to enter upon your duty? What are the hours? Ten till two, every day. Excepting Sunday, that is. Then that's most satisfactory for me. I'm a pawnbroker, you see, so most of my own business is done of an evening. I can manage the shop while you're away, Mr. Wilson. Oh, splendid. As you know, the pay is four pounds a week, and the duties are purely nominal. Purely nominal? What does that mean? Well, you have to remain in this office, or at least in the building, throughout the whole four hours every day. If you leave, you'll forfeit your position forever. Well, I shouldn't think of doing so. No excuse will avail. Sickness, business, nor anything else. Here, you must stay. And, and the work? To copy out the Encyclopedia Britannica. The Encyclopedia? You must find your own ink, pens, and stationery. So, um, can you start tomorrow? Yes, certainly. Then, goodbye, Mr. Javis Wilson. And, uh... Let me congratulate you once more on the important position in which you have been fortunate now. You can imagine, Mr. Holmes, that by the time I'd reached home, I was persuading myself the whole thing must be some great uh, hoax or fraud. <laughs> it seemed altogether past belief that anyone could make such a will... Well, pay someone so much for doing anything so simple. Yet you did not abandon the arrangement. Oh, nearly. But Vincent Spaulding did what he could to persuade me. And the next morning, I set out for Pope's Court with a penny bottle of ink, a quill pen, and seven sheets of foolscap paper. To my surprise and delight, the first volume was set out ready for me. And Mr. Duncan Ross was there to see me get fairly to work. He started me off on the letter I, and then he left me. Uh, but he'd drop in from time to time to see that all was right with me. And to make sure you were there, huh? Uh, yeah. At uh, two o'clock, he bade me good day and complimented me on the amount I'd written, and then he locked me off his stall after me. And this procedure continued for some time? Day after day, Mr. Holmes. Did you get paid? Oh, yes, on Saturday, Mr. Ross come in and plonked down four golden sovereigns for my week's work. <laughs> it was the same the next week and the same the week after. Every morning I was there at ten, and every afternoon I left at two. By degrees, Mr. Ross took the coming in only once, uh, all the morning. And then after a time, well, he didn't come in at all. <laughs> Still, of course, I didn't dare to leave the room for an instant. I wasn't sure when he might come, and, and the bullet was such a good one that I wouldn't risk the loss of it. You mean you're still doing it? Oh, Dr. Watson, alas. Eight weeks passed in that pleasant manner. I'd written about abbots, an archery, an armor, an architecture. I was looking forward to getting onto the letter B before long. When suddenly, the whole business come to an end. To an end? But how? Well, it was this very morning. Went to my work as usual. But the door was shut and locked. 
And this, uh, this here little square of cardboard out here was tacked onto the middle of the panel. <laughs> the red-headed league is dissolved October the 9th, 1890. <laughs> so, I was staggered, dumbfounded. I called to the offices round about, but none of them seemed to know anything about it. And finally, I went to the landlord. He's an accountant living on the ground floor. He said that he'd never heard of any red-headed league. He told me that the red-headed man at number seven was a solicitor named William Morris, who had taken the room as a temporary convenience until his new premises were ready. He moved out yesterday. I asked where I could find him. Did he know? 17 King Edward Street, near St. Paul's. I went there. It was a manufactory of artificial kneecaps. <laughs> oh, well, I can't see there's anything funny. Oh, no, really, gentlemen, if you can do nothing better than laugh at me, I can go elsewhere. No, 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 Mr. Wilson. No, really. I really wouldn't miss your case for the world. It, it's most refreshingly unusual. From what you've told me, I think it possible that graver issues hang from this exceedingly remarkable case than might at first appear. Yes, but I want to know who are these people and what is their object in playing this prank on me? We shall endeavor to clear up these points. But first, one or two questions. Now, this assistant of yours who called your attention to the advertisement, how long had he been with you then? About a month. How did he come? In answer to an advertisement. Was he the only applicant? No, no, I had a dozen. So why did you pick him? Well, I told you, because he was handy and would come for half wages. Uh. What's he like, this Vincent Spaulding? Oh, he's, uh, he's small and uh, stout-built. Very quick in his ways. Yes? Clean-shaven, although he's not short of 30. Oh, yes, he's um, um, a white mark of, uh, of an acid splash on his forehead. Have you ever noticed that his ears are pierced for earrings? Oh, yes. Well, he told me a gypsy did it for him when he was a lad. Ah, I thought as much. And he's still with you? Certainly. Has your business been properly looked after in your absence? Oh, nothing to complain of at all. Very well, Mr. Wilson. That'll do. Oh, thank, thank you, sir. Uh, <clears throat> now, today is Saturday. I hope that we may be able to give you an opinion by Monday. Oh, well, I'm much obliged, if you can. Well, well good day, gentlemen. Uh, good, good day to you. Good day, Mr. Wilson. Well, Watson, what do you make of it all? I make nothing of it, Holmes. It's the most mysterious business. As a rule, the more bizarre thing is, the less mysterious it proves to be. What are you going to do? To smoke. Yes, it's uh, quite a, a three-pipe problem. And I beg that you won't speak to me for 50 Sarasati plays at the St. James's Hall this afternoon. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think? Could your patient spare you for a few hours? No, no, I have nothing to do today. Then put on your hat and come. I'm going to the city first and we can have some lunch on oh, the way. Maybe. Come along. There we are. Uh, Jabez Wilson Jeweler. <laughs> The three gilt balls describe his trade more accurately, I fancy. You looking for something, Holmes? A number of things, my dear Watson. Just listen carefully. Well? We're banging a pavement wall. Now we'll try the door. We're going to see Wilson again. 
I trust not. Morning, gentlemen. Can I help you? Oh, thank you. I only wish to ask how you would go from here to the plan. The third right, fourth left. Can't miss it. I'm much obliged. Good day. Not at all. Good day, gentlemen. The assistant, eh? Mark Fellow. I rate him the fourth smartest man in London. As for Daring, I'm not sure that he hasn't a claim to be the third. You know him? I've had experience of Mr. Vincent Spaulding before. I see. You knocked at the door just to get a look at him. Not at him. At the knees of his trousers. What did you see? What I expected to see. Then why did you beat the pavement? My dear doctor, this is a time for observation, not for talk. We are spies in an enemy's country. We know something of Saxe-Coburg Square. Let us now explore the paths which lie behind us. Now, let me see. I should like to remember the order of the houses at the back of here. Now, there's a tobacconist, Mortimer's, a little newspaper shop, the Kilberg branch of the city and suburban bank, the vegetarian restaurant, and McFarland's carriage building depot. That'll do. And now we've done our work, so it's time we had some play. A sandwich and a cup of coffee, and then off to violin land, where all its sweetness and delicacy and harmony, and there are no red-headed plants of Texas with their conundrums. You want to go home, no doubt, Doctor. I have some business to do, which will take some hours. I shall want your help tonight. Well, count on me. Considerable crime is in contemplation, but I have every reason to believe that we shall be in time to stop it. What time tonight, then? Ten, at Baker Street. Oh, and I say, Doctor, mm-hmm. kindly put your army revolver in your pocket. Watson, I think you know Inspector Jones of Scotland Yard. How do you do, Inspector? How do you, Doctor? And this is Mr. Merriweather, who's to share our night's adventure. Oh, how do you do, sir? I hope a wild goose may not prove to be the end of our chase. You can rely on Mr. Holmes, sir. His little methods are a bit theoretical and fantastic, but he's the makings of a detective in him. Thank you, Inspector. But it's past ten now, and time has started. Now, if you and Mr. Merriweather will take the first hansom, Watson and I will follow in the second. We meet at the back of Saxe-Coburg Square. Uh, gentlemen, shall I lead the way? Uh, please do, Mr. Merriweather. We start this short passage. I'll unlock the gate at the end, and then there are steps into a vault. branch of one of the principal London banks. Mr. Merriweather is chairman of directors. That is so, sir. And as you can see, there's nothing vulnerable about this place. Try to keep your voice down, sir. Hmm? Have the goodness to sit on one of those boxes. 
while I examine this floor through my lens. Oh. Well, you know what this is all about, sir? It's something to do with our French gold. We've had several warnings that an attempt might be made on it. We had occasion some months ago to borrow 30,000 Napoleons from the Bank of France. We have never needed to unpack the money, and it is still lying in this vault, in these very crates on which we are sitting. Good gracious. Ah, I thought as much. And what have you found, Mr. Holmes? Details later, Inspector. It's time we arranged our little plan. We must put the screen over the dark lantern. Sit in the dark? We cannot risk the presence of the light. I shall conceal myself behind this crate. The rest of you can't do likewise behind those. When I flash a light on our foes, close in on them quickly. These are daring men, and if they fire, Watson, have no compunction about shooting them down. Hello, Holmes. What if they run? I have an inspector and two men up at the front door, as you instructed, Mr. Holmes. Capital. Then we've stopped all the holes. Now we must be silent and wait. It's all clear, Duncan. Take the chisel and hand me the bag. It's no use, John Clay. He's got a guard to leave us to me. There's no chance at all, John Clay. Alien, distance, falling. The other one, what about him? Lead into the men at the door. I'll have him all right. Oh. Now, still, Clay, while I just fix the derbies, don't touch me with your filthy hands. You may not be aware that I have royal blood in my veins. Oh, still. And have the goodness to address me as sir, and to say please. All right. Uh, then... <clears throat> Now, would you please, sir, march upstairs where we can get a cab to carry your highness to the police station? That's better. Lead on, my good man. Well, I've met some in my time. <laughs> really, Mr. Holmes, I don't know how the bank can thank you or repay you. I am amply repaid by having had an experience which is in many ways unique. And by hearing the very remarkable narrative of the red-headed Lee. Whiskey, Holmes? Ah, thank you. Uh, um... ah, thank you, my dear Watson. Uh-huh. Your health and yours. Ah, and now, if you'll um, kindly explain. Well, you see, it was perfectly obvious from the first that the only possible object of this rather fantastic business of the League and the copying of the encyclopedia mm-hmm. must be to get this not over-bright pawnbroker out of the way for the same number of hours daily. Well, it's curious way of managing it. Can you suggest a better? It was no doubt suggested to Kay's ingenious mind by the color of his employer's hair. The four pounds a week was a lure which must draw Wilson. And what was it to them who were playing for thousands? Mm. They put in the advertisement. Duncan Ross has the temporary office. John Clay, alias Vincent Spaulding, incites the man to apply for the job. And together, they manage to secure his absence every morning in the week. I see. But how could you guess what the motive was? 
Well, Wilson's business was a small one, and there was nothing in his house which could account for such elaborate preparation. I thought of the assistant's fondness for photography and his trick of vanishing into the cellar. Uh -huh. Then I made inquiries as to this mysterious assistant and found, as I suspected, that I had to deal with one of the coolest and most daring criminals in London. He was doing something in the cellar, something which took many hours a day for weeks on end. What could it be? I could think of nothing save that he was running a tunnel to some other building. Now I see. When you beat the pavement with your stick, you were testing for a hollow sound. To be more precise, I was ascertaining whether the cellar stretched out in front of Wilson's house or behind. It was not in front. And then you knocked at Wilson's door. As I'd hoped, his assistant answered it. I hardly looked at his face. You wanted to see his knees, you said. You must have noticed yourself how worn, wrinkled, and stained his trousers were. Yes. Yes, yes, I did. They spoke of those hours of burrowing. The only remaining point was, what was he burrowing for? Well, the uh, city and suburban bank, uh, around the back. Exactly. But how could you tell they would make their attempt tonight? Well, when they closed their league offices, it was a sign that they cared no longer about Mr. Jabez Wilson's presence. You mean they'd completed their tunnel? Yes. But it was essential that they should use it soon, as it might be discovered or, or the bullion removed. Saturday would suit them better than any other day, as it would give them two days for their escape. For all these reasons, I expected them to come tonight. Beautifully reasoned, Herm. Um, every link of the chain rings true. Oh, Oh, it saved me from boredom. <laughs> Alas, I feel it closing in on me already. Holmes, you're a benefactor of the human race. My life is spent in one long effort to escape from the commonplaces of existence, my dear Watson. These little problems help me do so. One of the Sherlock Holmes stories from the inspired pen of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. My real name is Norman Shelley. My friend Carlton Hobbs played Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. Our script for this BBC production from London was by Michael Hardwick. I need hardly say I look forward to the pleasure of your company again soon for more of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes.